hello and welcome to the Mo Bro Show, where I, Tip Mosley, pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, will sit and discuss topics of life, ministry, and theology with my brother, J.P. Mosley, who is a professor and minister at Heidelberg Theological Seminary in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. On today's episode, J.P. and I will be in the Old Testament once again, and we'll be in the book of Isaiah looking at chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, and discussing the phrase, rise and shine. So, have you, like when you and I were younger and we would have to get ready to go to school, do you remember how you would wake me up? Yeah. Like you you were uh, always... gentle. No. <laughs> you were always up before me because you've always been an early riser. Uh no, you would uh if if one of my one of my feet were uh outside of the covers, you would take your hand and you would slap the bottom of my foot. <laughs> and if my foot was not out from underneath the covers, you would pull up my covers, exposing my foot, and you'd rear back and you would slap the bottom of my foot. It's the worst way of waking up ever. I mean, I'm sure there's other ways that are worse than that, but Having the bottom of your foot slapped. Not so one, nice. One time I picked your mattress up on you. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, uh, but well, I do I do remember the slap, the slaps yeah. to the feet. The problem was is you were a very deep sleeper. Yeah, I still am. And there's only a few ways of waking a deep sleeper up without getting the whole room in a mess. I contemplated throwing water on you. You know, mom would just turn the light on. Oh, I had the light on. Well, I mean, no, that would just be it. Just turn the light on. I know. Get up. Turn the light on. No. No, you got to take it a whole step further. You got up. Yeah, you assaulted me. (laughs) No, no. No, it's um, assault's a very uh... harsh word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you look it up in the dictionary. Assault is to make a physical attack on someone. But there's a footnote, unless it's on the feet. No. I'm pretty sure it's in there. <laughs> no. That in was my dictionary. A... There's there's a pencil mark in there, and then down at the bottom it says unless it's someone's feet. Uh huh. You, you say whatever you want to say to justify the acts that you did at a younger age to your poor younger brother who was just trying to rest. I thought, I thought we were talking about last week. <laughs> no. <laughs> Two weeks ago. Oh, okay. No, that, that was, that's always, always, man, never fails. 630 on the dot on uh, like, so I have an alarm set in the mornings because I'm the one that gets up and takes the kids to school because Aaron is working. She'll, she teaches classes, the teaching kids in China, uh, how to speak English. And so she's up at 4 a.m., early riser, 4 a.m. to teach classes. So I've got an alarm set on my phone to go off at 6.15. And I, the kids have gotten used to the fact that I will hit the snooze button because they'll hear my alarm go off twice every morning. Yeah. And I, I, Evan will say that to, to, to Aaron. Yeah, daddy's phone makes that sound twice every morning. And then he gets up. Like, well, yeah, that's how the snooze works. But Evan, yeah. Evan is up at the crack of dawn. Uh, Eden will not. She does not like getting up. I have to wake her up. My alarm will not wake her up. And usually I'm in there laying down with them in the mornings because once Aaron is up working, they kind of like get stirring. And then I go in there and, and soothe them back to sleep. But uh, it never fails. It, I on a Saturday morning when I don't have to be up and, and, and Evan being the oldest can be up and take care of himself 
he can make himself breakfast, which he does that every morning. Uh, will wake me up at six thirty on the dot, Daddy. It's six thirty now. It's time to get up, and it's Saturday. Why? That's my that's my first thing that I say to him. He tries to wake me up, and my and my answer is why? Because it's six thirty. Well, that doesn't matter. I don't have to go anywhere. Do you um, get up? Do you, do you get up? Yeah, yeah, but I do not. I do not get up well. Well, um, back back when I was the one that had to get you up in the mornings, I was up at five o'clock to uh, shower, make some tea do my homework, get some reading in. And then I wouldn't wake you up to about 6.30. We had to be out the door by By 6.30, didn't we? Which is why I was having to do what I was doing. That light light was on for a good 30 minutes. And so, but when I got to college, I still would, you know, this was when I was at Lee, I would still have my alarm set. I didn't get up at five or anything like that, but. I'd get up with enough time to get cleaned up, go get some breakfast, go to my first class. And there was a few times where I woke up throwing my alarm clock. Ah, I woke up not even knowing where I was. Yeah. My roommate was like, you know, trying to tell me where I was. I said, well, I don't know you. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I was probably a horrible roommate. He, I scared him quite a, I mean, to the point where one time we had a fire alarm go off at like two in the morning and he gets up and he's heading out the door, startles me awake. I said, where are you going? He said, don't worry about it. Just go back to sleep. So I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did. I went back to sleep. I don't know why they didn't count me. Everybody gets outside. I'm on the fourth floor. This fire alarm's going off and he gets back in. I, when we finally wake up and we're talking in the morning, I said, Hey, what was that all about this morning? Because it was a, it was a fire alarm. Well, I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> I know, um, but he, uh, I said, well, why didn't you wake me up? He goes, well, it wasn't real. Yeah. I go, how did you know it wasn't right? Real? It could have been on the first floor. Right. He goes, you make a good point. <laughs> now you you get up early these days. I get up at uh, four in the morning. But early. That's. that's that's through the week, you know, so uh, Monday, Monday through Friday, I'll get up at four and then I'll get up closer to like five or six, depending on what time I end up going to bed. Sometimes like this past Saturday, I got up at seven. Yeah. But I'll get up at four to, to read and then uh, exercise and help with the kids getting, getting up and ready. Cause I take them to school too. And then, um, Yeah. Do you do you have to force yourself to get up, or does it just has it become like a natural thing? Like, you're do you do you have an alarm that goes off, or do you just get up on your own? Yeah, I have an alarm. Okay. Yeah, I have an alarm, and it doesn't wake anybody else up. Sometimes it wakes Fran up. Sometimes she's she's pushing me out of bed. Oh. Uh, but mostly I, I'm up, and it's, it it where, seems like a a very. Uh, uh, like a discipline to, to be able to get up, to be an early riser, to get up at 4 a.m. with a goal of doing it. This is my time. This is my quiet time. This is the time I get a chance to read. This is the time I get a chance to, to uh, take care of myself, do some exercise. Like I just, I would rather do that at night. Yeah. While everybody else is laying down, I could stay up till midnight and then get up, of course, at 6.30 every single morning. Yeah. I'm not, I'm the complete opposite. Well, and, and Fran, Fran is too, um, which is, you know, there's the compatibleness there. We work together that way. She she's a she's a night owl. I'm an early bird. Yeah. And both are okay. I, yeah. I think I think for work purposes, you have to figure out where does your brain, when is your brain firing? When are you at peace? When are you wanting to? And for me, I've always gotten up early. You know, I was like Evan. I was always up raring to go. Yeah. Um, but I think there were some times like on the weekends where I'd sleep in because for me, my mind triggered, you have to do something today. You've got mm-hmm. something that you have to do and, uh, you need to get up for it. 
because uh, I remember on the weekends I would I wouldn't get up and you were already up. So uh, that was kind of weird. And this is when we were probably around Evan and Ian's age. But no, I think uh, whether it's a discipline thing, I think I think really in order to do what we do, in order to get to where we've we've gotten both education, uh, career and life, I think you have to exhibit a certain amount of discipline. I think, um, so for example, I, uh, you know, getting, you know, going off to college and getting a, a college degree. Yeah. Well, the reason why I bring up the, this, I, the idea of, of sleep and waking up and early riser versus a late riser or, you know, someone who sleeps in, well, I don't even, what, is there a term for that? Somebody that sleeps in? Yeah, I don't know. Is it like yeah, the proverbs. Get... The proverbs call them lazy. Oh come on! Oh no, I'm not kidding. The proverbs talk about the person that well, it doesn't use the word snooze, but they roll over and say just a little bit more sleep. Huh? So it's it's the it's the sluggard that uh, that rolls over. Um, it's the sluggard that says. I'm, I'm going to sleep a little bit more. There's a lot, there could be a lion at the door or something like that. I, um, I don't, I don't, I mean, I could look up the passages. Well, I'm looking up one right now. Proverbs. I'm getting two. I'm getting Proverbs 24, 33 and Proverbs 6, 10 talks about sleep. Actually, it looks like it's the exact same thing repeated in scripture. What, what was it again? Well, I found, I mean, I just typed in Proverbs and the word sleep and I got Proverbs 24, 33 and Proverbs 6, 10. Which which is a repetition of it of of themselves. Yeah, and so Proverbs twenty four is uh, it's thirty three and thirty four. So a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. In other words, hmm. the person that sleeps in like that's not going to get any work done. Yeah. 33 and 34. Oh, so it's the closing of that of Proverbs uh, twenty four. Yeah. A little sleep, uh, a little slumber. The one, the one I was thinking about was Proverbs 6, 9. Yeah. Yeah, that was the how, other one, 6, 9, and 10. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? Will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So sure poverty come on you like a prowler. Yeah, and which is needs. repeated. Yeah. But the the verse 9 is, is, is the different one. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? Will yeah. you rise from your sleep? In, in in other words, the in the ancient church when they were looking at the various virtues that a Christian has, and then they said for every virtue there was a vice. Yeah. And one of the vices was sloth. Yeah. That's the sluggard. It's the person that's avoiding activity or exertion. The person mm -hmm. it, it's the um yeah, it's it sounds like it's also it possibly could be the um procrastinator i th i think that it's closer to the procrastinator yeah um so uh, which which is the is the person that avoids work they, they put it off for the next day they uh oh i'll just get to that tomorrow well, yeah now there there was somebody I, there was a pastor or somebody who who i had read that said something to the effect of and i i don't even know i don't think they used proverbs 6 for this example but they said that procrastination is the mishandling of God of the time that God has given you. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. I think that's right. And, and, and I, I think that's a lot, there's quite a number of proverbs that, that get to that. You're, you're robbing God of time that he gave you, mm. um, which is, there's the parable of the, of the, the, the servants with the various talents and one yeah. buries it. Right. You know, and, and that's in a sense, and of course, the talent back then was was money, um, but the I, th I think the the most important thing to recognize when you're looking at the vice of laziness, slothfulness, the sluggard, is it's in, it's always in comparison to the ant, the worker ant. Uh huh. And so, what we tend to do is there are two extremes. In in any culture, there is this the the sloth. There's the sluggard, but then there's also the workaholic, and those aren't opposites. 
those are both wrong. Yeah. Right. And so the reason, the reason I say that is we, we have a principle that comes from creation and that is you're to work six days yeah. and to rest one. And one, one theologian said, you know, while in the, in the scriptures, the fourth commandment centers in on Sabbath observance, uh, one theologian kind of put it this way. He says, in other words, what God has given, given to us in the Ten Commandments is everybody deserves a day off. Everybody ought to have a day off. And I think of police officers, firefighters, uh, paramedics, you know, people working in hospitals. I think of um, uh, ministers. You know, the typical day off for most people are Sundays. Well, we're, we, we have to work those days. And so then our day off, our fourth commandment day of rest has got to be a different day. And then even in the scriptures, uh, in the Old Testament, there was the year of Sabbath. Every seven years, the whole land was to rest. Yeah. But then it, every fifth year, meaning after seven sevens, so there was then to be a year of Jubilee where yeah. certain debts were forgiven. And then there was another land. There was another two. It was pretty much into being like two years of rest. Well, the people didn't didn't follow that. There's no example of that being followed, uh, and it's up to like seventy years, seven seven generations or so. Um, it's it's a very long time they didn't follow that. And Jeremiah says, for every year that y'all didn't keep the year of the Sabbath, that's how long y'all were going to be in exile, and it ended up being totaling seventy. Huh. And Daniel, Daniel makes reference to Jeremiah making that point. Daniel calculates and he goes, we've been away for 70 years. It's time to go back. Yeah. And that's, that's the time they get to go back. It's kind of a cool thing. Uh, but that means God takes that fourth commandment very seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm not there. There is within the tradition that I'm a part of um, a, a plethora of, of views when it comes to the fourth commandment. And uh, we have some that, that have very a view that kind of goes to the Puritans where uh, blue laws, you're not allowed to eat out on Sunday. There's a whole host of things. You don't, you don't do any type of business transactions. That is, that is getting people uh, that's making people having to work. And, and I have, uh, I, I, to me, I think that's the goal. That's the ideal uh, is a, a whole day where you're able to worship, reflect, and serve God that way, yeah, and not have to worry about uh, getting a table at the Cracker Barrel, yeah, you know, which then becomes the stressor. Um, but then you have the other view that says, well, that's there's not an explicit command in the New Testament for that type of rest, so it's now just a spiritual rest. It's now a, a battling of sin. And, and I have sympathy towards that one as well, uh, because, you know, the, the tool that we use in our churches to train our children is the hybrid catechism. And it, it leans in that direction. Now, you can hold to the other one and still hold to the hybrid catechism as well, because it's it's not saying, oh, no, you don't, you know, you have to eat out or you have to do this. What it's getting at is, is let's say uh, you get up. Let's let's get back to our original conversation. Let's say you get up at the crack of dawn or you get up at four or five in the morning for six days straight. Mm -hmm. What it's suggesting is on this seventh day, get a little bit more rest. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about cutting the grass on this day. You don't have to worry about going into the office on this day. You shouldn't even be thinking about the office. Right. Now for, for me and for you and uh, on the most part, I think our Saturdays, or for a lot of preachers, they take Mondays as that day. Right. And so I, I know one colleague of mine, his day was Friday. And so, but that's we then Friday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We then work all day Sunday and people don't get that. Some people think, well, the pastor only works that one hour. And really sometimes it's only 30 minutes because he's up there just preaching for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't, they don't realize the amount of time it takes to get, uh, a sermon together, a Sunday school lesson together, a Bible study together, it's yeah. a counseling session together. It, yeah. They don't realize the, how the, long it takes. The fact the fact that I'm working on stuff right now 
that I won't be preaching on until December. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. It, it, it takes hours. It takes days. It takes years to get some of the things done. But all of this to say, the Bible doesn't give us a command as to what time a person needs to get up and get work done. The Bible doesn't say, preacher, be up at five. Right. Preacher, be up at seven. Preacher, get your work done by midnight. For us to sit back and say, the Bible gives, you know, where the Bible doesn't command, we need to keep quiet. Ooh. It's a, it, it does have a clear set. You work these six days, six days you toil mm-hmm. on the seventh you rest. Mm-hmm. I used the example recently of Christ and his triumphal entry in Palm Sunday. And that's day one. Mm-hmm. Compare that to day one of creation. God said, let there be light. Mm-hmm. Jesus is that light. And that was day one of his redemptive work within Jerusalem for those la- that last week that he was there. And then on the seventh day, which would have been that Saturday, if you count Palm Sunday as the first day, then that Saturday is the day that he rested in the tomb. Then after that day of rest, he was up preparing his workers, preparing, preparing his, uh, apostles. They'd be sent, they would be sent out. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I use that example. It's, uh, it's, it's clearly set and God used his own work as an example for how we are to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Here's what I want to get at. We're doing these phrases, these idioms. Uh, one of them is rise and shine. Yeah. Something I've heard in a lot of movies and TV shows when somebody's waking somebody up. Rise and shine. Good morning, Vietnam. You know, something like that. It was really good. No, it wasn't. And rise and shine, you can find it in the Bible. It's it's a little little different, just a little different. But Psalm, uh, Isaiah I almost said Psalm, but Isaiah sixty, verse one. Now here's what I'm gonna do real quick. I'm just gonna double check this. I got my New King James cross reference out right here because it says arise. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna see if there's another example of arise and shine being used to the, in in. Nope. Only one. <laughs> only once. Now let's see what it says. So it's only it's only used once in the Bible. Arise, shine in in Isaiah 60, verse 1. Now let me look. I'm gonna do a quick cross-reference for. Yep. In the ESV, it's only Isaiah 60. Uh, and then in Ephesians. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Ooh, that's a good... All right, I'm going to come back to that, Ephesians 5.14. I love it when I get like little nuggets like that. Ephesians 5.14. So I'm going to read for you Isaiah 60. And I kind of want to go all the way through verse 7, but I kind of want to stop kind of like towards verse 5, but... Uh, we'll see what happens. So verse 60, I mean, chap, uh, chapter 60 of Isaiah, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Let's just, I'll, I'll just stop there for now. So God is speaking through Isaiah. And it sounds like he's talking to Israel. Because there's a reference to Gentiles here. So the, the Gentiles shall come to your light. So it sounds like Isaiah is talking, or God is talking through Isaiah about his chosen people, about Israel. 
Does that sound about right? Uh, I would just phrase it. God's talking to his people. God's talking to his people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's the reality of Isaiah is talking about something that has not yet happened. Yep. And that is Israel. Or when, when Isaiah is ministering, uh, the people of God are divided in between two different kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Isaiah ministered in the southern kingdom. He was might have been a priest. Uh, he was in Jerusalem. Um, so he, in, in this message, what we have is a messianic expectation of uh, when Christ will come, not only will there be a reunification of Israel and Judah, but there will also be a reality that the Gentiles will come in and celebrate this, will we'll come to God, and there'll be um, a beautiful light. In fact, in Matthew, he doesn't, he doesn't quote Isaiah. I believe he quotes like Zechariah or, some, or Zephaniah, where um, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali have seen a great light, and that's Galilee. And, and Matthew says, you know, there it is. He's, they're seeing Jesus. Well, that's what's said in Isaiah 60, verse 3, is the Gentiles are going to see a great light. Yeah. In other words, what Isaiah is pointing out, I, I, by the way, Isaiah is known as the, for, for many people, is known as the fifth gospel. Oh. Uh, it's, that's just, a, I, I think Genesis could be known as, Genesis got gospel, Exodus yeah. is gospel. So it, it just, Isaiah is one of those books where out of all of the prophets, it's one of the most alluded to and most referenced uh, in the Gospels. And so people are sometimes, especially those that are in a dispensational camp, are sometimes surprised as to how much gospel, I just put air quotes up for a radio show, how much gospel, <laughs> <laughs> how much gospels in Isaiah. The, the gospel was in the, is, is throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. It's the church there too. You know, you know, yeah. It wasn't, you know, Christ all of a sudden didn't start something new. The church has always been since Adam. But, with, with this language of rise and shine, or arise, shine, um, to me, the what has become the idiom today, I don't think it has its origins with this phrase. Hmm. Uh, I think I think it's it's clearly here, right? Um, but I think because the King James version of the Bible is is you know, very much a vernacular. Um, and, you know, Shakespeare would use it, but he would use other English translations. Um, I, th I think there's some aspects of uh, biblical talk, biblical language, biblical whatever, that, uh, that creeps in. And the King James just says, arise, shine, because that's what the Hebrew says. Yeah. So, uh, but when when we go to tell somebody to get up in the morning, if we say, "Arise and shine," look, the, my 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 daughter will tell me the 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 sun is up. Yep, you know, and that's that's in essence where this is coming from. Yep. But what is what is more significant about the entire chapter is the reason for getting up. The reason, and and that is because the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And there is, there is in this passage, at, at least from this perspective, uh, there's hermeneutically an inclusio. An inclusio is think of, think of on your shelf when you, when you have no ends to a bookcase, you have to put bookends on the book, on the bookcase to keep the books together. Yeah. Well, an inclusio is a, is a linguistic feature of creating two bookends. It's telling you, that this whole thing is one shelf or one unit, one linguistic thought. And there just so happens to be an inclusio in this passage, uh, two bookends. For example, uh, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. If you jump down to, you know, starting in verses I mean, we could start in 18, but look at verse 19. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor the brightness shall be the moon. Give light to you, uh, but the Lord will be 
to you an everlasting light and your and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also, your people shall be uh, shall be righteous. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, it will hasten its time. What you're seeing there is, throughout this entire chapter, is what the what the uh, John in the book of Revelation is pointing out is the consummation yep. of the kingdom. And so... Yep. Um, that's what there's I was going to, that's the point I was going to get at. Yeah. Of, yeah. So I, th- I think there's moments in here where you see, uh, you see the glory that is the cross. Um, some people, some people spend their lifetime create Martin Luther said this. some people make, take a lifetime of creating a theology of glory, but they fail to have a theology of the cross. Oh. You can't have glory without the cross. Mm-hmm. Now, God has glory without the cross, but we can't get to glory without the cross. Yeah. And so you see that here as well. How are the Gentiles coming in? What is the banner of truth that they're going to be under? Mm -hmm. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. If we try to go any other way, then what we're trying to do is find glory for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to happen. We, We need to only come through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And... That like I think I think you kind of pointed out at the beginning here. There's there's so much to unpack. The focus that you want to have though is where do these certain phrases or idioms in our culture come from, and then try to see if you know these if they're biblical or not. Well, I think it's biblical, but I think it's it's not the same. Um, it, it's it's not from a an understanding of the passage. No, no, no. The the connotation is not the same. It's uh, used today of just some random person waking someone up. It's a, it's a cheerful morning greeting, and I, Which, I think it's I think it's more an idea of of being like the sun, <clears throat> sun. You know, being like the sun that rises and shines. You're you know, hey, get up, rise and shine. It's a beautiful day. It's another wonderful day. You know, which, a way which, of waking someone up nicely <clears throat> instead of slapping their feet mm, which is oh i've you know before the foot was slapped the, that that was said no it wasn't you were just were still asleep <laughs> you could say whatever you want to say well you were because i wouldn't would i know? wouldn't have right i wouldn't have known how would you have known no but i like the point when, the point i'm making though is the phrase could still be from the biblical truth here. Let's let's put it this way. Yes. For as long as we live, as Paul put it, we're to live for Christ. Yes. And so when we wake up, um, we have the opportunity to bring glory to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, in other words, what side of the bed are you going to get off on this morning? For me, I've only got one side of the bed that I'm getting off of. This is a day of the Lord. This is a day where I need to fight temptation. Mm-hmm. Repent from sin, and and turn to Christ. There's only one side of the bed for the Christian. I I, I ought not to make it a day where I'm going to grumble, complain, and fight. Yeah. Well, I think I think in essence that's what this is now referring us to. Look, in 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 our life currently, we we have where we are in Christ presently, but yet Christ has not come uh, to take us to take us into eternity. And so we're already in Christ. His light is already shining upon us. His glory is already there. We experience it every time we come into worship. We Every time we wake up is another day to live for Christ. We need to get up and get going. Yeah. However, we still live in this evil present world. We still battle against the sinful flesh of our hearts. And, and that's what Romans 7 is dealing with. There's sinful Paul in Christ talking about how that battle, that war is still raging. And so the, the concept of getting up and getting to work is a very biblical concept, getting up to give glory to God, to enjoy his creation. 
that I think we can get from Isaiah six. Is it, is it the, is it what it means? No. Is it an application? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And one, one teacher of mine put it this way. The, every passage has one meaning. It could have a billion applications. Right. And so this passage has one meaning, but the idiom that we're dealing with is one of the million applications that we can from. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to share with you, the first time I read this, just, just looking at verses 1 through 3, the first time I read it. Now, anytime I read anything in the Old Testament, I always read it in a way that it points to Christ. Mm-hmm. So automatically off the bat, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That this is a... This is a, um, a, a a shadow of what they are hoping for, of what the the promise is of the Messiah, because that's how I always read Isaiah, especially from chapter 53 and 55, chapter 59, all the stuff that points towards the suffering of Christ and all, all the stuff that he will endure and all the things that all the work that he will accomplish. And so here in, in verse 60, it's the same thing, or chapter 60, the same thing. So I automatically, everything turns directly towards Jesus. And so when I'm reading this, I'm thinking of, okay, the hope for God's people there in Isaiah's time in the Old Testament, but also what went through my mind was that glorious light that John sees when looking at the new heaven, the new earth, that there is no moon, there is no sun, but there is light and you can see everything. And the light is Jesus. The light is the fact that God is now in the presence of his people and that they're, they're not uh, dying in his presence because there is no more dying and and they're able to, to be in his presence different than what Moses, you know, had to turn away. No, we don't have to turn away anymore. We, we have the opportunity to look upon that light, the new heaven and the new earth. And so that, that's where my mind went. I went from Isaiah, I went from Isaiah 60 to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to Revelation chapter uh, um, 21. But I also thought application for my own life. Like when I said, ooh, there's a really good nugget in Ephesians 5. And I don't, it's in quotations. He says in verse 14, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, I know what that's getting at, but I love the line, Christ will shine on you. And so I think about that, and then look at Isaiah 60, and I'm like, that's how we are supposed to live our lives. We are to wake up each and every day knowing it's a dark world. It's a fallen world that we live in. But it says in verse 2 of Isaiah 60, but the Lord will arise over you. Mm -hmm. And his glory will be seen upon you. And I, we, we talked about being the salt of the earth, being the light of the earth the light of the world, how Christ is the light of the world. And Christ and Jesus even calls his disciples, the light of the world that they are to be like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that people will see them and see the things that they are doing and know that they are doing it in the name of Christ and that Christ is doing it through them. And so they will see Christ. They will see that light. So we are to be a beacon as Christ was a beacon of hope a beacon of mercy, a beacon of grace. So then we are to do that in every act that we do in love, showing the love of Christ that others may see it. And it's, it's interesting too, because even when we're in hardship and we're coming through something that's awful and we cry out to God for help, like we're, we're in a, in a, what does he call it? What does David call it? Like, a, uh, we're in a miry pit. We're in a horrible pit, like a miry clay, crying out to God. 
and God took him out. This is Psalm 40, took him out of that pit, set him on a rock, which our rock is the rock of our salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And then from there, our feet, every step is established. And what's crazy, what, what I, what, what is awesome is people will see praise that comes out of that from the person that was in that horrible pit. God puts a new song in their mouth and there's praise that comes forth. So people see that and they fear God is what David says in Isaiah and in, in, in Psalm 40, that they fear God and then they place their trust in God by seeing that, that light that was shining in that person that is a child of God. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, that's what I see here in Isaiah 60, what you're, and you're saying, you're, you know, I hear you saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, get up every morning knowing that it's a gift from God and then yep. give it back to him. And every step, every moment, everything that you do, I think Paul says in every work, do it as if you're doing it unto God. Well, it's as, it's, it's, as we started out, you know, you, you don't want to rob God of time. Yeah. You know, while at the same time, he's provided, if we could say it this way, he's provided you 24 hours to rest. And that means the other six days, you get the opportunity to do the work that you want to do. Now, some people, they don't want to be doing what they want to be doing. They're just doing things just to pay the bills. Well, that's, that's a part of life too. Mm. I've been um, there. Well, and I, if you think about it, I, I kind of made the point. I said, you know, I think it takes some discipline to get through college. Yeah. Uh, I think it takes discipline to get through a master's degree, uh, to get to a doctorate. It, it takes discipline to get to a black belt. Um, all of those I have. Mm-hmm. It takes discipline to reach those types of goals. But it also takes the grace of God. From my perspective, it also takes the grace of God. Yeah. I think it's easy just to get up and to play video games or to watch movies or, to, or, you know, read books or just do nothing. Play board games. I think that's easy. What I think is harder is to get up and say, I'm going to do this for my wife so that she doesn't have to hmm. or I'm going to go and work and, and I'm going to work hard so that she, my wife is not having to do these things or I'm going to go work hard uh, because I'm called to this I'm called to this church I'm called to this this task I think when a person understands their calling in life they're called to do this or called to do that. It makes it easier. And it doesn't make it less hard. The, the phrase, time goes by when you're having fun. Uh-huh. Well, when you're doing what you're called to do and what you're gifted to do, it goes by faster. Yeah, it's it fun. makes it easier. It's it fun. makes it, it makes it, you know, it doesn't remove the thorns and the thistles mm-hmm. from the work. Uh, but what it does is it makes the thorns and the thistles bearable. Yeah. Makes it bearable. And, you know, in the Bible, um, we're called to stand. I just, this is, I think this will be my last, my last thing to say here. We're called to stand Ephesians five and six. We're called to stand. When the Bible uses phrases of rise or to arise, a lot of the times that has to deal with coming woke being woken up from the dead. Like right there in Isaiah and Ephesians five. Yeah, exactly. So um, 
it, it's one of my pet peeves in a worship service when I'm telling the congregation to please stand so that we can sing a song. It, I don't say congregation arise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I think the Bible uses that and, and somebody could disagree with me and that's fine. It's just, a, it's a, like I said, it's a pet peeve of mine. Um, I don't say that. That's it. I, I, I normally say, uh, please stand and join us. That's what I, I as, said, as we, stand. as we, as we worship the Lord through song, that's usually my I invitation. Say, I, I try to mix it up, but yeah. normally the word stand is being yeah, used. Stand. Um, I, I try not to use rise or congregation arise. Yeah. Uh, Cause to me, that's something Christ will command one of these days where his whole church will get up. Yep. And that'll be a glorious day. Yeah, very glorious day. So there's well, this, go ahead. What are we going to look at? What are we going to look at next time? Well, I'm not done yet. Oh. <laughs> because not only did I look at Isaiah 60 as a, uh, now as a preacher, pastor, I looked at it as a worship leader too. There's a, there's a song that came to mind when looking at Isaiah 60 by a gentleman, uh, Matt Redman. And the name of the song is Shine. Not like Newsboys Shine, not that song. It's, it's cheeky. But um, there is a, I want you to check it out. There's a song by Matt Redman called Shine. I think it came out in 19, nope, I think it came out in 2000. Let me look down here, scroll down. 2006 is the copyright for it. I don't know what album it was on. But it, when I was reading Isaiah 60, it made me think of Matt Redman's song, Shine, which I did. I've done that for churches plenty of times. Uh, but the chorus, no, I'll start with the chorus, but the, the verse for it. And then I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll end with this, and then I'll let you know kind of what I want to do for next time. But, Lord, we have seen the rising sun awakening the early dawn, and we're rising up to give you praise. Lord, we have seen the stars and moon. See how they shine. They shine for you. And you're calling us to do the same. So we rise up with a song and we rise up with a cry and we're giving you our lives. We will shine like stars in the universe, holding out your truth in the darkest place, which Isaiah 60, verse 2, darkness. Oh, shoot, I lost my tab. There it is. Um, we will be living for your glory. Jesus will be living for your glory. We will burn so bright with your praise, O God, and declare your light to this broken world. We'll be living for your glory. Jesus will be living for your, your glory. So, and then the, there's a bridge for it too. Like the sun so radiantly sending light for all to see, let your holy church arise, exploding into life like a supernova's light, which I've never had a, Praise and worship song that that was said supernova. Set your holy church on fire. I'm hoping that's a spiritual fire. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it's about revival because I don't I don't like songs about revival. I think it's more a song of hey, it's a new day, and we're giving this day over God for you, and your glory, and your will to be done. But. I, I've always enjoyed that song. It's a, it's got a good production to it too. Very simple, very minimalist. But I'm thinking, because uh, I've been wanting to do this now since this whole thing started. We're this technically this one we're doing right now would be episode eight. We had two yeah. to three weeks off. I got to put up episode seven, but episode eight, and then maybe for the episode nine. I really want to do old as Methuselah. Okay. Now it's technically that's not a term used in the Bible. Not there's there's nowhere I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible that says boy that's as old as Methuselah, but that's something that people use. I I hear it a lot in the South. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that you know that way the ways of doing that that's as old as Methuselah. So I'm. I would like to, because there's a lot that can be unpacked there about what life was like 
uh, how people were able to live in their 900s. And so I'd like to, I want to, I want to hear your, uh, your take on that. Yeah. Cause I'm hoping you've got some pretty good research into that. And I would think that it would bleed into like, like the sin entering into the world and, and the effects of sin into the world, in the world and mm-hmm. uh, aging, changing throughout mm-hmm. uh, time and, and all that. So mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see mm-hmm. we, that that's going to be a, I've been wanting to do that one for a while now. Be a, be a little bit of a different, different uh, approach. No, a different show. Oh. Yeah, I think we're saying the same thing. It's going to be different. Okay. Yeah. So we'll leave that for next time. Thank you for listening. And we appreciate your support. If you would like to give in financial support to J.P. Mosley's Ministries at Heidelberg Theological Seminary in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you may do so at heidelbergseminary.org slash support hyphen HTS. That is heidelbergseminary.org slash support hyphen HTS. And if you would like to give to the ministries of Tip Mosley at Fellowship Baptist Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, you may do so at thefellowshipbc.org slash give. That is thefellowshipbc.org slash give. Thank you, and may God bless. Thank you.